We're going to be uh, speaking today from Acts chapter 11, so if you'd go ahead and turn in your Bibles to that point. And uh, we're continuing on in our story. We've been walking through the book of Acts, and um, we're going to take a break uh, shortly for the summertime from the book of Acts. We're going to pick it back up uh, where we left off. But uh, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, which talks about backgrounds. It has to do with where people come from. And so I was... uh, I grew up here in Fallon, most of you know that, and um, I spent a lot of time in the hospital, not because I was ever really ill, but because my mom worked there. And so after practice or before practice or whatever, I would end up waiting for her to get off her shift or take me somewhere or something like that. So I spent quite a bit of time with my mom and her friends, and from early on, I developed kind of a rapport with her friends, so her peers, and I could relate with them easily and enjoyed chatting with them, and, and uh, it, was, um, it was a pretty natural thing. I was very comfortable in that. And then I was surprised when I first went to Canada and was trying to get to know Stephanie's mom's friends and trying to get acquainted with them that it it didn't quite work out the same. And I I wasn't really sure why, but there seemed to be, I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or or, or me, I don't know, but but, uh, there seemed to be some sort of a kind of a a propriety and a distance, a properness there that that kept me uh, from being able to relate to them in the same ways that that I normally would with my mom's friends and and even, you know, not just because I'd known them for years, but just my mom's peers. That was a pretty natural thing. But I realized that after a while, I kind of put together what was going on. And, and that's that um, there seems to be, this is my, you know, I'm not a professional in this regard, but there seems to be something that, that changes in a Canadian woman when she turns 40. And there's a, there's a certain distance. I, I couldn't figure it out. I don't know. And, and uh, I'm sure it's their fault, right? And so... <laughs> Because who, who wouldn't want to just get to know me? <laughs> but, so, uh, and, and, you know, that, that was kind of my working hypothesis for a while. And then I, I started getting a little bit concerned because I realized that my wife, who's Canadian, will eventually turn 40. And I hope, I hope there's no distance there. So. <laughs> but <laughs> so uh, anyway, that has to do with backgrounds, right? It's my, my background being from here and kind of the experiences that I've had and and uh, going to a different place with different culture and different influences and different expectations. And, and uh, our background can really influence the way we relate to people. It can influence the way we talk to people, the words we choose. Uh, it can influence our actions and our preferences and all of those kinds of things. And so we are coming to our passage today in Acts chapter 11. And we're going to see that background and, and where people come from and what their experiences are growing up uh, will come into play in this passage in major ways. And so uh, before we get uh, to our passage, uh, we're going to go ahead and read it. Before we get there, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. Uh, This is your word, and we are your people. This is your day, and uh, we pray that you would work by your spirit during this time. We commit this time to you and ask that you would do so. Ask that you, from your word, would speak to us. Instruct us, encourage us, guide us, tell us true things about you and about ourselves. So we come here this morning seeking you. To that end, help us to set aside the things that are distracting, the things that would concern us, the things from this past week or the one upcoming or later today. Help us to set those things aside and to focus on your word, to be sensitive to your spirit. I pray that you would work in our hearts as we submit to you during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're in Acts chapter 11. We're continuing on our story. And, and uh, last week we talked about this vision that uh, Peter had and, 
and the whole interaction between Peter and Cornelius and what was going on there, Cornelius being a Gentile and, and Peter uh, being sent to him and, and those sorts of things, the gospel going to the Gentiles. And so we read about that episode and what all goes uh, went on there in Acts chapter 10. We talked about that last week and this week. We're going to move on and we're going to see that uh, there's some fallout from that that uh, everything you know doesn't doesn't move on from there and everything's uh, happy and and stuff like that we actually see that there are accusations brought by some uh, and so we're going to go ahead and, and uh, read the first uh, three verses from chapter 11 here now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the gentiles also had received the word of god so when peter went up to jerusalem the circumcision party criticized him saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so we, we kind of finished, when, when we read through chapter 10, we see that high point. We, we rejoice that the gospel has gone to the Gentiles, that, that the last barrier has been broken through, and, and, and these are, this is great news. And when some of the people who were Jewish Christians at the time living in, in uh, Judea and in Jerusalem itself, when they heard this, the first thing or the loudest thing that they heard was, wait, you, did you say Peter went to them and ate with them? And so they bring this accusation. And, and uh, where does that come from? Well, it comes from their background. It comes from the way they were raised and the things that they were taught from the Old Testament. And we talked quite a bit about that last time, that there was a distinction that was made between the nation of Israel, what it means to be God's uh, uh, special covenant people over against what it means to be outside of that covenant. And so there was a, a big divide between God's people, the Jews, and the Gentiles on the outside. And, and the, the whole Old Testament kind of, uh, you, you see God working in special ways with the nation of Israel, that he's not working with the Hittites, for example, or, or Babylon. And so you see that there is a distinction, and that distinction kind of takes root in their hearts. And there were some things they were supposed to learn from that, but we see that as a nation, they begin to learn that, that the Gentiles were the outsiders, they were the, the ones to be excluded. They were the dirty ones. They were the unclean ones. And we're the clean ones. We're on the inside. And we're the people of God. And so uh, when, when they hear, when these people, these Jewish people who are now Christians, who have this kind of stuff in their background, when they hear Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles, the Gentiles got saved, and there was a Pentecost just like ours, the biggest thing, the loudest thing in their mind was, wait, um, did you say Gentiles? Did you say Peter went and ate with Gentiles? They're not supposed to do that. And so you see that they're sort of captive to their background and, and, uh, and it, they, get, they have a hang-up regarding this. They can't rejoice so much about the gospel having gone to new people because they're concerned of, that Peter had defiled himself in some way. And it's amazing to me, not only that, that uh, they, they have this accusation and they, their background kind of leads them to this point, it, it's amazing to me that they would bring criticism to an apostle on this topic. Like you think you would ask a few questions before you bring criticism to an apostle. But, uh, but they, they seem concerned and that's, uh, it's a big enough idea in their mind that they're willing to go to the leader of the apostles and criticize him, to call him out for this. Wait, did you really do that, Peter? Did you really go to them? And so you can see kind of how serious an idea this was. When we read through this, it's easy for us maybe to breeze through it and not really hear the alarm bells or not really see what's catching them off guard. But it was a big deal to them, big enough that they would uh, approach Peter and uh, bring criticism against him. And it's because, again, of their concerns for, over cleanliness. 
It has to do with their idea of uncleanness and that they had been taught from the Old Testament, by the way. They had been taught that if you want to draw near to God and worship, there are certain things that you need to do and certain things that you need to avoid so that you can be ritually clean and be presentable at the tabernacle or at the temple. To come into worship, there were certain things that had to be into place. And so uh, that, that ritual uh, cleanness is very important. And being unclean keeps you outside and keeps you unable to come and worship. And so they had those sort of categories in their minds and it was causing a problem for them. And so they had very great concerns about the, the uh, uncleanness of these Gentiles. And, and therefore it's a big deal that Peter would go to them. And so they call Peter out on it, which I think is a big deal. And so... Peter has a response, and in the next uh, several verses here, uh, we're going to read Peter's response to their questions. And really what he ends up doing is pointing to four actions of God that, that show that actually th- this wasn't Peter's doing. <laughs> this wasn't Peter's idea. It wasn't his own initiative. This was God at work. And so we're going to see what these actions of God uh, were. And so first of all, let's read, uh, continue on in our passage, starting in verse 4. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. You see, first of all, Peter Peter in defending himself and answering this charge that's been brought points to the vision that he got from God. There's a divine vision that he receives. He said, I was just praying and all of a sudden I saw this vision. And he rehearses for them the vision that he saw that we already uh, read about last week where he's, he's in, in prayer and he in, enters into a trance and he sees this like a giant sheet being let down from heaven, being held by its four corners and on it were all kinds of animals, clean and unclean animals, uh, kind of milling around on it or whatever. I can't quite picture what that would look like. I don't know if they were miniature or if he was way off or the sheet was huge. <laughs> I don't know. But, but the point was that he saw all these animals and he's looking at them and the Lord says to him, rise, Peter kill and eat and so he's looking out there and he sees well they're unclean maybe they were all unclean animals i don't know but but he said by no means lord i can't do that because i've never eaten anything unclean because i'm a jew and that's the way i was raised so we see that Peter's kind of identifying with their background. He comes from the same place. And his response to the Lord was very similar to their response to him. Whoa, 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 that, that's unclean. I can't do that. And so the Lord says to him in a very powerful way, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so that's, that's the lesson that he's to receive from this vision. What God has made clean, do not call common. And so Peter said, first of all, there was a divine vision. Then he, he moves on in, uh, in his discussion in verses 11 and 12. He says, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them 
making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And so we see that there's a divine command that goes along with this divine vision. Right as he's finishing up this vision, right as he's pondering what does this mean, what God has, has, has made clean, don't call common, what, 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 what does that mean? Um, right as he's thinking about that, a command comes because these men show up from Caesarea, from Cornelius, and they're, they're, they're going to call on him and the Spirit says to him, agree to go with them, don't make any distinction, just go. And so he receives a command. God actually tells him to go and do this. And so the Lord is working on his own background, his own uh, struggles that he has in understanding us versus them and the outsiders and the unclean. And God is changing his understanding of what all of those things are. He continues on in verses 13 and 14. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. And so before Peter even had his vision, if you think of the timing of all that this happened, before Peter even had his vision, God had already begun preparation. He had already sent the messenger to Cornelius in Caesarea. Send to Joppa and and go get... So God had already begun to move God had already worked behind the scenes in such a way that Peter was responding to. It wasn't Peter's idea for Cornelius to send messengers from Caesarea to Joppa to come get him. It was God's idea. It was God's command. And so God had been working behind the scenes in preparation. And, uh, and so Peter is laying out his explanation of why, why he did what he did and, and, and how it actually is a big deal. He's not just saying, well, God did it, not me. And so let me off the hook. There's a massive lesson for all the people. The same lesson that in the last chapter Peter himself was learning as he was going through these experiences is the message that the church is learning now that he is reporting to them. And so we see that there's, uh, there's divine preparation going on behind the scenes. And really, if you think about your own conversion, think about how the gospel came to you. There was divine preparation going on behind the scenes there also. I think, of, uh, I think of my own story of conversion, and I can see how God was at work in ways beforehand, before I ever knew any of this was going on, to bring the gospel to me. And so there was divine preparation. There's also a very clear divine action. We continue on in our passage, verse 15. As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? God had set this thing up from the very beginning, and now he was stepping into action. Not only had he uh, prepared Cornelius beforehand, not only had he given Peter the vision and the command to go, but more than that. While Peter was preaching, he says here, he had just started. He just started to preach and the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he had fallen on the Jews during the day of Pentecost. And so we have God's very clear action of sending his spirit and saving these people. And so Peter is kind of telling the whole story and he's saying what all happened that actually, you know, you're kind of calling me on the carpet because I went to them and ate with them. Well, let me tell you what all was really going on. 
And so he tells about the vision. He tells about the command from God. He tells about the preparation. He tells about the actual divine action of when the gospel was being proclaimed. That was when God sent his Holy Spirit to save these people. And so it was like a second Pentecost happening in the lives of these people. God was at work. This was a fulfillment of what John the Baptist had said back in in Matthew chapter 3. He had said, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one who's coming who's, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in Acts chapter 1, you see Jesus refer to that same prophecy, and he says, you have, John baptized you with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And right after that is when you have Pentecost happen. And here we see Jesus, uh, Peter is calling that same thing to mind in reference to these coming to know him. And so God was at work. And so Peter spells out these actions of what God was doing. But he continues. Our passage continues in verse 18, and we see kind of the response of the church, right? It's going to end up in the acknowledgement of the church. He says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. So they're hearing this report. They called Peter on the carpet and said, Peter, you, you went to them and you ate with them. And Peter tells his story. And at the end of it, those same ones who had a problem with what Peter had done and who had called Peter on the carpet are now struck silent. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so we see the acknowledgement of the church. So they had had a problem with how Peter went about this or whatever. This was the big deal that stuck out in their minds. And yet now that they've heard the whole thing and they see that God was at work through this whole thing, they give glory to God. They're brought around where their hang-ups are no longer their hang-ups. They're, they're concerned to give God glory for what has happened. That God has been at work from the very beginning. In all of these ways, He's been working behind the scenes. Ways that, that were incomprehensible perhaps at the time. And ways that Peter didn't even know about when they were going on. And so they give glory to God. And their, their racism or their ethnocentrism or their, their us versus them mentality that they had before suddenly became non-existent. It was gone. Because God had been at work. And so they give God glory for what he had done. And and they rejoice. And why do they rejoice? Well, it's because the Gentiles had received life. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. If you think about it historically, this this is a momentous occasion. Nothing like this has ever really happened in the history of the world. You read through your Bible, and this is a brand new thing. This is something new that God would bring the the gospel to Gentiles in this way, that He would call to Himself. He would give life to the people who were the outsiders. They were the dogs. They were the unclean. They they were those who were out there. They were pagans. and, And here God had sent salvation to them. So when, when we think about it from our perspective and we read this sitting here in the 21st century and where we live and with our own backgrounds, we, we, we may not uh, think too much about how momentous this was because the majority of our church is Gentile. The majority of the church around the world is made up of Gentiles. And so that same distinction that was a big deal for them is maybe not such a big deal for us. 
but it was a first-time event. It had existed, uh, this, this divide had existed for thousands of years, and now it's been removed. It was huge. This was a big deal to them. So I was thinking about, you know, when we pray for someone today or when we take the gospel to someone, when we share the gospel with somebody, we're probably not thinking, is, it, is this guy Jewish? Is this guy a Gentile? Is this guy one of the, one of the unclean? Or is this? We don't have those kind of categories. I, I, I don't think we have those kind of categories. In certain parts of the world, I'm sure maybe those same things exist. But, but we don't really think about whether this person is outside of the boundaries of, of uh, who God will reach. I think sometimes when I'm, when I'm praying for the unsaved, maybe certain people who are unsaved, I, I may be tempted to think that they're unsavable. They're, they're outside. God could never save that guy. And that's a, that's a confession of weakness and, and unbelief on my part. I'm not proud of that. We do have a little bit of that maybe with, with certain people, but the message of this passage right here is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, meaning to everybody. And so let this be kind of a, kind of a, a little bit of a rebuke to that, that aspect of us, that maybe that, that, that portion of our thinking or that relationship that we have where we think that person is beyond the reach of the grace of God. We don't get to think in those terms. We don't get to think in terms of Who's, who's outside the pale and who's not. The gospel is for all. God has removed that final barrier. There is no such barrier anymore. That barrier that had been there all throughout the course of uh, your Old Testament and on into uh, the New Testament, we see that that barrier has now been removed once and for all. And the gospel has gone to Jews on the day of Pentecost, gone to the Samaritans, and now has come to the Gentiles also. There is no more barrier. They are unclean. They were unclean. And God says, I have made them clean. So don't call them unclean anymore. And there's a, there's a huge point of application here for us. Because though we may not have those same categories of clean and unclean, we, we may think in those terms that actually in God's eyes, if you think about the Old Testament, you think about the Jews, they had ritual cleanliness, right? They had things in order to make it look right, to do the outward. They were circumcised when they were supposed to be circumcised. They worshiped when they were supposed to. They put these things in order so that they could enter in and worship. They had all the outward stuff. They looked clean. But what's the, what's the consistent message through the Old Testament and on into the Gospels? They, they looked clean. But they were unclean in their heart. They were circumcised outwardly, but in their heart, they were uncircumcised. Though they had things in order, though they looked like they were clean, and though there was a distinction between the clean, I'll put quotes around it, versus the unclean Gentiles, in actuality, the point of the history, one of the points of the history of Israel leading up into the Gospels and even into the book of Acts is that the nation of Israel, though they appeared clean, they were unclean deep down. And so really... They're just like us. Because each of us was born in that same unclean state. And we may have the ability to clean ourselves up so that we can draw near to worship and no one would look and see that you are uncircumcised in heart or see that you're an unbeliever deep down. No one would look and see that because you know how to put on the face. But in reality, each and every one of us, Jew and Gentile alike, is born unclean. Is born in a condition of rebellion against God. 
We don't want to do what he says to do. We don't want to obey him. We don't want to listen to him. We want to call our own shots. Many of us like to look like we're obeying him and, and we're submitted to him and while at the same time, deep down, calling our own shots. And so there's a, there's a real uh, revelation going on here that deep down we are all these unclean Gentiles. And the Jews are the same. Humanity is, is one and the same. Born fallen. Born separate from God. And with a desire to run away from Him. And so, so when we think in those terms, when we think of not just Jew versus Gentile as clean versus unclean, but when we think about the fact that, wow, we are all unclean, and here you have an example of the gospel coming to the unclean. And God saying, they are clean. Don't call them common. That's a picture of the gospel saving you and saving me. That's exactly what God does. He, he takes unclean people and he doesn't say, here, follow these 19 steps or these three steps. Do this thing and clean yourself up. And once you've cleaned yourself up, I will, I will, I will dub you as my child. The gospel begins with us realizing I'm bankrupt before God. I have nothing to offer myself to Him. I can't clean myself up. I can't get myself to a point where I can be acceptable to God. And in that context, that's when the gospel comes to you. And that's when Jesus comes in and says, I have died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And if you will repent of your sin, turn away from trusting in yourself and trust in me instead, I will declare that you are clean before me. Because of what Christ has done, we get to be declared clean before God. That's the gospel. And that's what's happening here to these Gentiles in Acts chapter 11. And that's what Peter is reporting. God is at work. And I love how he spells out this whole story. He, he points out to the very beginning with the angel appearing to Cornelius all the way to the vision that, that Peter had and the command that God gave Peter all the way up to what, what the Holy Spirit did when he fell upon them as Peter was preaching. That's all the activity of God. That He would bring the gospel to them. That He would bring a preacher of the gospel to present the gospel to them. That, that was all very clear in Peter's presentation here. This is God at work. But there's more. God doesn't just take the initiative in bringing the gospel to you. Read verse 18 again. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It is God who not only takes the initiative to bring the gospel, it is God who takes the initiative and grants them, gives them repentance that they turn to Him. God is at work in this whole thing. Peter has come to understand a, a, a truth about God that we all need to understand from this passage, that it is God who is at work. We, don't, we look at Peter, or at Cornelius. When we first meet Cornelius, he's a great guy, right? He does great things. People love him for good reasons, right? He's generous to the, to the people. He, he prays. He's, uh, the, the whole nation of Israel thinks he's a great guy. This is a good man who's a Gentile. 
But we see that in actuality, it was God preparing the whole way for the gospel to come to him. And then it was God even at work to grant him repentance that leads to life according to verse 18. So we see that 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 was actually God at work bringing the gospel and even granting him repentance. I remember having a conversation with a, a woman who was on our evangelism team at the Moody Church in Chicago. And we would uh, go out on the streets and we would visit homes and we did a lot of evangelism. And, and we were talking about this topic one time because she was training a group in, this, in, uh, in evangelism. And, and she, she could see, she could get her mind around the fact that God grants faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about that, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. And so, so even faith is included in that gift from God, that God is actively giving faith. But in her mind, that's where it stopped. In her mind, this is how she thought about this topic. She said, it is up to the individual to repent. When the individual repents, when the individual turns from their sin, when the individual of their own initiative, from their own will, turns from sin and turns to God, that's when God grants faith. And that's when God grants salvation. This passage doesn't allow for that. This passage says that, yes, God grants faith. It doesn't address the issue of faith per se, though you could argue it from the Holy Spirit falling upon them as, as the gospel is being preached. But it, what it does explicitly say is that the repentance to turn to him was given by God. That's powerful. So, so not only do we see God at work behind the scenes to arrange this meeting and to put this all together, what we see is God at work bringing it all together and consummating it. That God brought salvation to the Gentiles. He didn't just offer salvation to the Gentiles. He actually saved them. God is at work. He is the one who is bringing salvation in this, in this context. I love... Uh, I was reading through as I was pondering this story. I was thinking about all the activity that God initiated. He gave Peter the vision and the trance. He brought the messengers from Cornelius to his door at exactly the right moment. The Spirit then tells Peter to go. And God had already beforehand sent an angelic messenger to Cornelius telling him to send for Peter in the first place. The angel told Cornelius beforehand that he would be saved by the message that Peter would bring. You will be saved by this message. And then the Holy Spirit falls on them as Peter is preaching the gospel. This was the gift of God to them, Peter says. So God is clearly and sovereignly at work in saving these people from the very beginning. He's the one who initiated in having the gospel message brought to them. And by the way, he's the one who initiated in having the gospel message brought to you in your own story. But when we read verse 18 closely... 2 Timothy 2.15 says the same thing. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, God, he's he's speaking of uh, of regarding the opponents of the gospel. 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God is so gracious. He's, He's so gracious to bring us the gospel when we are in fact unclean, when we are in fact undeserving. He takes the initiative to bring it to us and he takes the initiative to work in us even to grant us the repentance that leads to life. 
So what are some takeaways from today's message, from our passage here today? I think we've, we've gotten a few already, but, but one message that I want us to, to kind of pull out is that the gospel is both crushing and freeing. It's both crushing and freeing. It's crushing to your pride in that it makes it clear that you have no hope of attaining salvation and peace with God on your own merits. That can be crushing to your pride if that's what you're relying on. If you're looking to yourself and you're looking to something that you can do, the gospel destroys that. But the gospel is freeing because it tells you that you don't have to obtain salvation and peace with God on your own merits. It's freeing so that once you realize I'm stuck on my own, you can look to Him. And you see that you don't have to obtain that on your own merits. The call of the gospel is to repent both of sin and of self-righteousness and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. The gospel is crushing to the proud and it's freeing to the humble. The gospel gives life. So secondly, what do we do in response I think what we do in response is exalt Christ in our hearts. Lift Him up for what He has done. Exalt Him more than we have ever done for bringing salvation to the unclean in heart like you and like me. He didn't have to. And we never deserved it. And more than that, if He hadn't granted it to us, we would never have responded positively to it anyway. So let's be like the Christians in verse 18 who when they heard these things, they fell silent. They gave glory to God for granting repentance even to the unclean like you and like me. So let's lift up Christ. Let's give Him glory. Let's rejoice in that, that He has brought the, the gospel to, a, to an unclean person like me. And let's give Him praise and glory for that. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us and and when we're done, there are going to be, uh, there's going to be a family who comes up front to, to pray with you. And if, if maybe this is the first time you've really understood the gospel, maybe it's the first time you, you're, you've been crushed by it and you want to respond in faith to Christ, this, the family coming forward would love to pray with you, would love to share with you. Let's pray together. Father, as we read this passage, we see Peter's reflections on the great vision and all the events that you uh, did in his life. And we want to learn the lesson that he learned, that that barrier, that, that wall, that dividing wall, the, the separation between clean and unclean is, is, uh, is completely different now, that actually we are all at heart born unclean. And I rejoice and praise you that it is to the unclean that the gospel comes and brings cleanness in Christ, brings His righteousness, brings His uprightness, brings uh, His merit so that I can stand before You, not because I accomplished something, but because of what Christ has done in me, what Christ has done on my behalf. Thank You even that You not only uh, sovereignly bring the gospel to us, but that You work sovereignly that we might even respond to it. I pray this morning that you would work in those uh, maybe who, who have heard the gospel many times or not, but I pray that you would grant them repentance leading to life. Father, we love you and we bless you and we praise your name that you have brought salvation, not, not, not just the possibility of salvation, you brought salvation to Cornelius 
and those around him. You have brought salvation to me and to so many here. We praise you and we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen.